Welcome everybody to another episode of Need Some Introduction. A couple of production notes right off the top. We just changed podcast hosting platforms this week. And totally coincidentally, our old podcast host had an outage back on Monday or Tuesday, maybe Tuesday morning, right as we published the most recent recap of Better Call Saul. So if you did miss that, it's in your feed. It's available there. And because of the switch to the new host, you may have seen two updates for the Moon Knight recap. So obviously ignore one or the other, but things should be running smoothly from this episode forward, I would hope. (laughs) There may be a couple more hiccups along the way, but hopefully not. We'll also, as part of this new hosting platform, have a website where you can go and find new ways to contact us or support the show. And I'll be rolling that out over the course of the next few weeks. In today's episode, I will be having a conversation with my sister, continuing our coverage of Barry, season three, episode two, as well as the first four episodes of Shining Girls on Apple Plus, the new Elizabeth Moss show. This has been getting some mixed reviews, and I don't think many people are watching this show, but I find it very interesting, and I'm going to make my pitch for why you may be curious to check this out. It has elements of investigative journalism, has elements of science fiction. It definitely has horror elements, and Elizabeth Moss giving a great performance, as well as Jamie Bell, by the way. Jamie Bell also giving a very good performance here. So stay tuned. I'll make my pitch before I start to spoil the show, but we will be spoiling those first four episodes, which are currently available. And we will probably continue our conversation going forward on this show as well. But before all of that, I wanted to give you my review for the latest official MCU movie, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Every night, I dream the same dream. So I was a fan of the first Doctor Strange movie and also a big fan of Benedict Cumberbatch. I thought in that first film, he wasn't very well defined as a character. It was very much that they were trying to make him into a new Tony Stark. They probably knew that there was some limited time left on Robert Downey Jr.'s involvement in the MCU. So you end up having a magical version of this very cocky, maybe overly confident, especially when you see what he did in the Spider-Man No Way Home film. And it's funny, I was very critical now in retrospect, very critical of his actions in that Spider-Man movie, the most recent one. But I guess that is also in this alignment with Doctor Strange as the new Tony Stark, because I have a theory that the actual villain of the first cycle of Marvel movies is Iron Man. (laughs) He inadvertently or intentionally creates almost all the problems in those films. And I'll have to give you my theory. Maybe I'll have this conversation with Nick and see if it holds water with him. But here we have, again, explicitly in this film, the question raised as to how much trouble (laughs) is Doctor Strange, really, and his overly confident abuse of his magical powers. But I really did enjoy that first film, not necessarily for this performance or this introduction of Cumberbatch as this character, but more so I really loved the design of the film. I loved how these action sequences had really used this reverse time aesthetic to create these really interesting action sequences, as well as these very cool reality folding sequences. Another interesting thing about this new film is that it's directed by Sam Raimi. For those who don't know, Sam Raimi came up with the Coen brothers, actually, 
and their careers have paralleled each other in very interesting ways. They both achieved huge success over time. Both started making very, very low budget genre films. And whereas the Coen brothers have become considered maybe their greatest filmmakers of their generation, Raimi, still a, a truly excellent filmmaker and changed movie making with his hyperkinetic style, first in the Evil Dead movies, second by creating an industry in the 80s of these very low budget movies like the Evil Dead that could break out and make huge amounts of money on video mostly. And then, of course, by making that first set of Spider-Man films, that first trilogy, which were massive, massive box office successes. And this is before Disney started with their MCU, or I guess it was Paramount at the time, at the very beginning. And then Disney, of course, has grown that into this massive franchise worldwide juggernaut. So Raimi's involvement was very interesting to me, and I was a fan of that first film. So now I'm going to give you two opinions of this film. Firstly, my experience of watching it, of actually just sitting there and experiencing the film as a product, and then maybe where you see some of the negative reaction coming from some critics, the film as a film, like as an actual self-contained movie. So in short, I really did enjoy myself watching this film. I had a lot of fun watching this film. I thought it had just the right balance of emotional stakes and serious development of its themes, and then a lot of fun, just throwing a lot of funny and stylish sequences in there. And I think this is going to click with audiences, not like the Spider-Man film. This does not have that kind of universal appeal. And there are some horror elements to it that may be too intense for very young audiences. And what I would recommend, by the way, to fully appreciate some of the things that are being developed here, I would say not essential, but will definitely enhance your viewing of this film would be to watch WandaVision on Disney+, Plus, the first of these MCU series that debuted during the pandemic, because we see the emotional journey of Elizabeth Olsen's character into becoming Scarlet Witch. So a lot of her emotional journey is in that series leading up to this film. Secondly, I would recommend watching the What If series, the animated series on Disney+. Plus. And I won't even tell you why, but trust me, watch those and you'll know why after you see this movie. And the last thing maybe you should watch is re-familiarize yourself or familiarize yourself with Sam Raimi's comedic horror films, primarily the Evil Dead series. And of those, I would say Army of Darkness, the third one. And you'll know why when you see this film, because a lot of the aesthetic choices that come towards the end of the film really feel lifted from those old Evil Dead movies. So another important creative force here, of course, Kevin Feige, as usual, the shepherd of this whole entire MCU. But a single credited screenwriter here, Michael Waldron, who has written many things in the past, notably some of the more important Rick and Morty episodes, and of course the creator and main writer of the Loki series. And I would say, once again, going back to this film as a pure pleasure delivery system, I think we get a good performance from Benedict Cumberbatch, better than I thought he was in the Spider-Man film. I think we get a very good performance from Elizabeth Olsen. We get solid work from Wachitel Gomez playing America Chavez. Sorry if I mispronounced that. I haven't seen her in anything previously. Young actress here and does solid supporting work throughout. I mean, she's really one of the main players, but everybody's secondary to the mechanics of this film, basically. Going back to the writing of this script, I really do like the way this has been constructed. It is really like a roller coaster where just when you think we can't pile on or increase the stakes any further... We just keep piling on one impossible situation on top of another, on top of another. And I really did enjoy that, that 
sense of how are they ever going to get themselves out of this? And you're just really drowning in this plot. There's so much plot in this film, but it really does have an acceleration to it. It's really just trying to get you through it as quickly as possible. And it feels like that amusement park type ride. And I don't mean that as a criticism. And then I really do like the way they resolve the conflict. It really seems like how can they possibly resolve this conflict? And I found the resolution without any spoilers here to be very clever and emotionally satisfying at the same time. So I thought that was very well done. And just as far as like being shot out of a cannon, <laughs> when I landed at the end, I was overall happy with my experience. If I have some criticisms here, I actually feel like the film feels a little cheaper, believe it or not, than the previous Doctor Strange, where I kind of thought some of the visuals there were much more interesting than they are here. Another minor criticism I'd have is that I was so excited to see Sam Raimi come back, and I think that maybe this is where some of the negative criticism comes back, that even someone with as profound a visual style as he has is so constrained by the plot and mechanics of this story that he really can't fully define the aesthetics of the film in a different way. But I do feel like he gets free reign pretty much towards the end of the film. There are some aesthetic choices here that I won't go into until we talk spoilers at the end of this episode, but they really do feel lifted like some of, from some of the early Raimi horror films and really have that feeling of those old school horror comics. And probably my final criticism here is, you know, if you think about this as a movie, this is an empty argument I'm going to make right now because these MCU films cannot possibly be taken on their own terms anymore. Just as a pure film, watching this in, in of itself, this doesn't make any sense at all. Like not only do you probably need to watch some of those materials that I mentioned before, like the What If series, this animated series is probably pretty important to fully grasp what's happening in this film. But the stakes for these characters, like who are these characters? If you didn't know them from previous movies, from their iconography within the MCU in general, you have no reason to care for any of these folks, except for maybe America Chavez, this new girl who's basically just in danger. And that's why we're rooting for her. There is a very big character arc to one of the main characters. And once again, I'll save that for spoilers, although I think it's pretty much clear who the villain is in this film. The trailer does try to give us a little bit of a head fake. But I still preserve that, save that for our spoiler section. So final verdict, if you are a fan of the MCU, you're looking for a fun film within the MCU itself, I enjoy this a lot. And maybe I just have a higher tolerance for the magic elements of this mythology rather than some of the other mythologies. And maybe that's why I accept some of the more outlandish elements here in this plot. But I did really enjoy this a lot. And I had a lot of fun with it. I thought that some of Raimi's craziest aesthetic choices towards the end were a lot of fun for me to watch. And as a fan of Sam Raimi, kind of get a little bit of a, a thrill just remembering some of those earlier films. On the negative side, I would say, like I mentioned before, there's relatively little character development here. And there's so much plot. You really are going through the first two thirds of this film, pretty much just going from plot point to plot point. And it's fun. I mean, don't get me wrong. The stakes are climbing. You're getting introduced to new characters. There's some surprise cameos here. That'll make the fanboys happy. But in the midst of all that, you really don't get to know any of these characters. I mean, after two films, it is very hard to believe that Christine Palmer is Strange's soulmate, considering how little we know about her. If you want a really surprising, daring, emotionally satisfying, devastating in some ways, multiverse movie, watch everything everywhere all at once, <laughs> which is still in theaters and doing very great business, by the way. And check out my review for that in this feed previously but a truly great movie, which is in theaters right now. We have multiple multiverse movies and TV series all on at the same time. But as an MCU film, this was fun and I did enjoy it. 
And I do recommend it in a way that I do not, by the way, recommend Moon Knight, which just wrapped up this week. I felt very unsatisfying. And maybe the irony here is that I complained that the Moon Knight series should have been a film, really should have been cut in half. There's enough plot there for a two-hour movie as an origin story, but not enough for a whole series. And going back to the fact that this writer also wrote Loki, I feel like maybe that is what this should have been. There's probably too much plot here for a single movie. And this could have easily been extended into a series. But overall, a lot of fun. Let me know what you think about the film. If you agree or disagree, drop us an email at needsomeintroduction at gmail.com. Look forward to your comments. So the agenda for today, I think, is going to be we will pick up where we left off with episode two of Barry called Limonada. Also lowercase, by the way. So Forgiving Jeff was lowercase last week. And now Limonada, this title this week, is also lowercase for some reason. And Bill Hader, again, the star, directed this as well. I think it directed most of this season, actually. Some interesting things happened this week. We see that, spoilers, once again, everybody, spoiler warning, <laughs> we will be spoiling episode two of Barry. First of all, we see that the Bolivians have arrived and uh, they show up at Crystal Ball's place. But you By have the way, to describe the, the arrival of the Bolivians, which oh, I yes. found to be yeah. hilarious. <laughs> it's so hilarious. Oh. It was so innocent before the Bolivians <laughs> yeah. showed up. He's like, oh, I'm going to call my partner and have like an afternoon rendezvous yep, exactly. or a brunch or something. And then he's all like, oh, I can't come back to work today. And, and it was a, all very cute. And then yep. there's the lemonade stand. Yep, and he's exactly. like, limonade. limonade. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then boom, they all they two. all roll up. <laughs> exactly. They all roll up like <laughs> men with like machine guns all roll up. That oh. was very intense. What I was going to ask you, by the way, is have you been watching the, the trailer for the next episode on Barry? Have you been watching that? I never watch the trailers for the next episode. Should oh my I be God. watching? You have to watch them for Barry. It's so hilarious. What they do is they show you a scene from the show, the actual she scene, with no context at all. <laughs> so, <laughs> so last week in episode one, all it was was a shot of the girls across the street. And then they cut to Cristobal on the other side, like before the, the trucks roll up. So it's just him standing there. <laughs> and he goes, limonade. And that's it. That's the whole trailer. <laughs> oh my so you have to see next week's trailer next week's trailer <laughs> it's sally and it's like she's preparing for a scene or something and it's just her and dead silence it's just like this very uncomfortable silence one minute of her staring at the camera and then they cut away <laughs> that's the whole trailer <laughs> she is so tortured though yeah. I, it's so obvious when he comes in and screams at her oh my god yeah. do it now Wait, you you talk to kusuno uh yeah yeah, and, um, you know, he's still pretty fucked up, but I think getting his, um, you know, career back on track will make him a little less fucked up and give him a purpose. Oh, that's so sweet. But we threw his name out for a part and casting said no. I think the direct quote was, life's too short. Well, wait, aren't you the boss? Can't you override that? Yeah, I am the boss, which is why I need to trust that I hired smart people and casting said he's a shit show, so. He's not a shit show. Yeah, I know. Look, I was as surprised as you are but the town wants nothing to do with him. He's made his bed. So, hey, you know, I'm kind of in the middle of something here. So can we talk about this at home? He's in a lot of pain. Yeah, no, I am sorry to hear that. No, you're not. What? If you, if you actually felt that way, you'd do something about it, but you're not doing anything about it. So now I have to do something about it. I came here for your help and you're not giving it to me. 
okay? Because you seem a little manic. I'm worried about him. So am I, which is why I tried to get him on my show. We're saying the same thing. We are not saying the same thing! We are not saying the same thing! If I don't do this, I don't live! I have to do this to fucking live! <laughs> don't fucking laugh at me! My whole life! My whole fucking life! Barry? I need you to do this for me now! Now! Do it! Do it now! Like she has nothing to do with this. She has this nervous laugh in the middle of this. Like she's run out of ideas. He is really abusive. Yeah, in exactly. that scene. Well, that's this. That's what I was going to circle back to as far as like thematically. I think where the show is going this season. But briefly, let's let's cover just the the main uh, storylines. On storyline one, we have Crystal Ball, who's in this relationship now with Noho Hank, but the Bolivians are there, and narrowly, you know, Hank escapes getting killed by the Bolivians that, you know, Crystal Ball is so happy to, um, that this doesn't happen. I also found very funny when those uh, young guys are roughhousing in the house and the uh, Crystal Ball is like eyeballing <laughs> them, like lustily eyeballing them. It's hilarious. <laughs> and the music was really good for that scene. <laughs> that was a great song. I want to put it on my Spotify list. Oh, I don't know. Maybe I'll include it here in the episode. I have to track it down. Oh, you should. It's so good. I was <laughs> like, I love this song. It's so perfect for this scene. Simultaneously, and in the other parallel storyline, we see that Sally has this show that's stressing her out, but it's a giant break for her since last season in this one. She's gotten a sitcom. She's like, but it's a sitcom about, you know, her life story, her biography, where she was an abused uh, woman. So interestingly, that is what the show is about. And then we have this situation where Barry shows up and like screams in her face, right? Like, it's just like, whoa, are you in another abusive relationship? And it's something that she doesn't want to acknowledge. But I think that's the metaphor that's playing out here. And simultaneously, we have, of course, Barry himself is with Gene trying to redeem himself. And I was wondering last week, like, how is he going to redeem himself? And it turns out that redemption is he's going to finally get Gene apart because Gene is such a horrible, horrible person that he has like literally no friends in Hollywood anymore. No one will even audition him. Every time Barry brings up his name, they're like, absolutely not. <laughs> he's like toxic. He is toxic, but. He is also very real. You know, when he goes to talk to these people and they're right. like, that's, you that's how treated Barry... me, he treats me badly. I don't, I don't want to give him a job ever again. Right. It's just that Gene was in the moment that these people feel that they were being treated badly by him. He was being real. Those were his real thoughts. And these are more civilized people as you can think about them. And they don't like Gene because of that. Gene, right, exactly. They do like Barry. They like Barry's like kind of that strange intensity he has. He's literally walking around town trying to get Gene an interview and everybody's like, absolutely not. We won't even see him. But you know what? I have a role for you. <laughs> and of course, Barry's kind of like, oh, I got an audition. <laughs> so this whole thing is very funny how it's all playing out. You know, Barry thinks he has no luck, but he has like so much luck. 
Exactly. He's yep. an actor now. Mm-hmm. He's kind of in demand. He's doing much better than his actor friends were and his woman is doing. It's amazing. Well, he's better than her. She has her own TV show. So that's not, that, he's not quite there yet. But he's got really good luck. Oh yeah. And just surviving as long as he has. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> but now thing- she loves him because he's so mean. Yeah, I mean, well, she's obviously attracted to abusive men, as we've seen in her past, which kind of explains some of their, this dynamic, the situation she's put herself in. But what's interesting, I think, is like you already touched on it, I think definitely what they're trying to explore here is this abusive relationship. And more importantly, like it's a real ugly look into what motivates somebody in an abusive relationship, the, the man or, or the abuser, because you know, women can be abusers also, but the abuser and how they see themselves as the victim. First of all, you see him yell at her, but then really interestingly, you see that final moment where he shows up where Gene is going and kind of intercepts him there and says, you're going to do what I say. I'm trying to help you. You're going to do what I say, or I'll kill <laughs> this girl, right? A, d- a horrible threat. And then says, Gene, I love you. And then Gene just accepts it. And then he says, you have to say it back. I told that casting director our story and he was so moved that he gave us both parts. So you're going to enjoy everything that comes as being given a second chance. Because if you don't, this one and that one go away. Do you understand? I love you, Mr. Kuzma. Do you love me? Can you say it? I love you, Barry. Can you say it again? Really, like, blatantly at that moment, showing you the mentality of an abuser, right? And it's really creepy. It really puts Barry in a very, very negative light here at the end of the episode. Henry Winkler is such a great actor. So good in this, yes. He won an Emmy for this. So and he, great. He's so great, so great. I see the stress on his face yes. and the terror. He's so wonderful. And he's got really good comic style yep. when he's doing that portion of the acting, which I don't even see him acting. I just get immersed in the character. He's so good. And you know who else has that same face, facial expression sometimes is Sally also. Sally, in this episode, she kind of diffuses it after he blows up at her and she goes, well, I'm just walking away now. He obviously turns himself off there. So he's kind of taking that anger he has towards her and maybe jealousy as well and putting it on Gene. So that's kind of how he's transferring that uh, abuse to Gene. But at the same time, you know, you see it on her face that she is obviously very uncomfortable. And you think about the fact that she basically has these women around her and she's supposedly in control here. And I think this is an indictment of the Hollywood culture and specifically the whole Me Too movement that this reckoning that's happened in the past few years. When you think about the fact that when those women are like, I'm uncomfortable with the situation, their response is, but I don't really want to say anything because I like my job, which is, of course, what happened to all those people who work for Harvey Weinstein and, and, and stuff, too, where they're like, well, I'll deal with the abuse because, well, I, I don't want to lose my job, even in this situation where. You know, but the show itself is about a woman who was abused. I'm not going to say anything about this. You know? you know who I thought was really good in one of Henry Winkler's scenes yeah. was when he walks up to the bar and the girl is 
like, oh, do you need help? And then everything he says is weirder and weirder. So she just thinks he's like a <laughs> yes. crazy, yes. wandering, you know, possibly intoxicated man. <laughs> but the stuff he says is so funny. And her acting yes. is really good. Yeah. It's like so natural. That's acting. exactly how you would react. So natural. That's yeah. exactly what most people would yep. react. Kudos to that extra. Yeah, I doubt she'll be back, but yeah, she did, did an excellent job. I agree. And now speaking of abused women, <laughs> let's transition over <laughs> to uh, <laughs> Shining Girls, which is like, you know, much more uh, toxic uh, protagonist or uh, antagonist here, I should say. So uh, once again, everybody, we are going to spoil or, you know, what? let's not spoil it yet. So just so everybody knows that Shining Girls on Apple TV, I don't think enough people are watching this show. Uh, maybe it'll be the type of thing that builds. I think it is building a little bit of steam here, but it definitely has not taken off the way like Severance, for example, or, or other recent hits have taken off. It's halfway through. And I don't know if this show is going to be able to come to a satisfying conclusion. I don't know anything about the book. It's based on a book. I don't know if it's going to have the same ending or if people like the ending of that novel or not. But I do know that the novel was a big bestseller. And I felt like the way they advertised the show itself, that's why I was kind of curious to bring you in to watch this. The advertisements gave away the twist, which is made overt in this episode four, that there is some element of time travel. And that's as much of a spoiler as we'll put here. Although we are going to spoil that whole thing uh, up to episode four in just a moment. But like I said, I'm not giving away anything that's not given away in the trailer. So I don't really consider that a spoiler if they already gave it away in the commercial. <laughs> so my general pitch to everybody is I think Elizabeth Moss doing really good work here. The show has a great style, creepy in its direction. And uh, some of the talent here is, is actually from Your Handmaid's Tale. Some of the director this week uh, has done some episodes of The Handmaid's Tale. She's very prolific, by the way. She directed a bunch of episodes of Breaking Bad and a couple episodes of Better Call Saul. And she goes all the way back with Gilligan, all the way back to Vince Gilligan, that is, all the way back to the X-Files when he used to work at the X-Files. So she's been directing for a very long time. And she's done some really great work. She's done some work for Game of Thrones as well. So a really solid director here. The show looks great. I've heard some criticisms early on that it was too slow. I, I don't think this is slow the way they're telling the story. And especially considering how outlandish it is. But I do think it wouldn't work, you know, if this was just plot and we had a really terrible central performance from Elizabeth Moss, which we obviously do not. But if that was the case, I can imagine being like, what's going on in this show? I, I don't have the patience for it. But because we're just, I am, at least me as a viewer, am so compelled by what's going on in her head and how she's trying to deal with this really traumatic situation. I don't find it slow or boring at all, especially after this episode. But where are you so far with the show? Again, she is one of my favorite actors. So already I'm like, oh, I can't wait. Plus, you told me how confusing it was, and that got me excited. <laughs> so I've seen all the episodes, and I think it's brilliant. It's set up in a way that it's almost like reading a book by chapters. Mm -hmm. So I don't find it slow, because then you're in another location altogether, and you have to try to figure that out. It's like a puzzle, and I love puzzles. So I'm entertained by this in mm -hmm. an intellectual way, I feel like I'm also figuring this out. So yep, to me, yep. I feel like it's a puzzle, but I could see how some people might be impatient to find out like where this is going. It's four episodes and you've invested all this time. You start getting a little impatient too, right. but I don't think that way. 
yeah, I, I haven't gotten impatient with it at all. And especially I think episode four, this fourth episode that just aired, maybe this is when people start jumping on the show because I think that now what may have been confusing to people before has been made overt. And now we're just going to get straight into spoilers. So what happens in this show, just so everybody knows, is we meet Elizabeth Moss. She had been brutally, brutally attacked by somebody in her past. At the beginning of the show, we're kind of implying this anyway, but we meet Jamie Bell, the British actor, not using a British accent here, but you see him uh, meet Elizabeth Moss when she's a young girl and she, he gives her something. And then, you know, it shows us a title card, 1968, I believe it is. And then we see her after the aftermath of what's happened to her. But more importantly is that, you know, she survived this assault at some point. We're not certain immediately that he's the culprit, but it's pretty clear that, you know, he's the number one suspect when we start watching the show. And that's made overt over the course of this investigation. She works for at a newspaper. She is seeing details of her life, mundane things. She has a cat one day. It's a dog the next day or vice versa. She changes her address at one point. She lives on a different floor. Details like her hair changes in the most recent episode. So things are changing as she gets closer and closer in this investigation. She is having these breaks in reality. She thinks it's some kind of mental condition because she keeps a diary basically to keep her facts straight. And apparently this has been going on since the attacks. She survived that attack. But what we start to realize is that this killer is also having some kind of strange things, details in his life are also changing. So they're somehow intertwined. And then of course, over the course of this investigation, we find out there's seven women in different time periods and what's crazy about this investigation, and I'm just trying to think about it, if you are a journalist covering this, is that in some cases, and this is really gr gruesome, by the way, but he's leaving artifacts inside their bodies after he kills them. So he had left a book of matches in her body uh, of a place that doesn't exist in her reality. Interestingly, also that these artifacts that were found in these bodies were found in a different woman's body. So taken from one and then placed inside of another woman, which is pretty grisly. <laughs> The craziest thing about it is that we see someone who has not yet died, who I guess is his next victim, and that her key, which she lost the week before in the time of this show, was found in a body 20 years earlier. So imagine being the investigator here and like when they're matching up all the clues and being like, hold on a second, the math on this one really doesn't work at all. <laughs> Like, do you, I mean, if you were in that circumstance, and that's how I'm reading the show, if I'm in that circumstance, do I start thinking, yeah, time travel? Like, I don't think I would jump to time travel, that's for sure. Was the woman from 20 years ago the first woman they found? Yeah, I wonder that myself, if it's like some kind of a loop that's being closed, right? So you see them in sequence, and then maybe that's how he perpetrates this loop. In the other ones, it's a logical progression. He takes it from one woman, puts it into the other. And then there's like this daisy chain. But then, of course, you have this one woman who is not yet dead. And maybe I'll just put my theory out there. I have not read the book, so I'm sure there's spoilers out there for this, but I'm just trying to read the show on its own terms. I feel like if they can disrupt this woman, this, this woman who works in the planetarium, if they can disrupt her murder, that it will break his cycle. And I think that is probably where the show is going. Um, now, how he became a time traveler? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> that's going to be good. That's a whole other thing, but... But, but what do you think uh, about that theory or do you have your own theory on it? I still wonder if he is the, a bad guy. Clearly he's done bad things, but what is his reason for doing them? I think he, he is a bad guy. Be, <laughs> I'm thinking he is a bad guy, but 
his reasons are different than what we think they are. Like he thinks he's not doing a bad thing. I hope anyway, because that's my theory. I'm just pondering. I like that it's a mystery yes. of this nature. Yeah, I think that I think the mystery is interesting. I agree. When you said that last week, it, you planted a seed in my head. You know, maybe he is trying to rescue these women in some way. Tough love, obviously, <laughs> horrible, horrible what he does to these women. But that it is some, you know, he's trying to correct their lives. I took your theory and I applied it to this episode. And there's that sequence early on where he thinks about killing that girl and he can't kill her in that bodega. But he doesn't. He leaves her alone because he goes, this was too easy. And then I'm thinking, so is he trying to teach these women a lesson of some kind? Like, once again, you know, obviously, <laughs> a lesson no one needs to learn. But still, like, maybe he does, to your point, think that he's helping them in some way. But then over the course of this episode, two things happen. One is when you hear this audio tapes and he's aggressively taunting these women, I feel like it's purely sadistic. And the second thing is when he sees that she survived, first of all, he did not expect her to survive. But when he sees that it survived, and then she's seeing these time changes as well, this infuriates him that this is not something that only he's experiencing. So I don't think he's a good guy anymore at all. <laughs> Even in his own mind, I think he is a sadist, <laughs> basically. He's an interesting character. I find everyone to be an interesting character. Yeah. I even wonder what is going on with her husband. He's hard to read. Yes. I think they intentionally leave him that way so that potentially she won't be married to him in another iteration. So they have to make him ambiguous enough so that in a different circumstance, he can play a very different type of role. What I think is interesting is that the people who are near Jamie Bell, the villain, seem to be having some kind of time disruptions as well. It's not just her because um, the journalist, the Brazilian guy, Dan Velasquez, the actor is Wagner Mora. In last week's episode, I guess it was, not this week's episode, he had that thing where he woke up and he had the glass in his arm. He doesn't sustain the injury till the next day. So something weird is happening with him now too. His time frame is shifting as well. One thing I think is pretty clear is that Elizabeth Moss, she's getting more glammed up as you know the show progresses. As she gets closer to dealing and confronting with her trauma, once again, this metaphor of her trauma she's getting not only more empowered but she's she looks better she, she seems to have a more confidence it's fascinating elizabeth moth she's really interesting as an actress but there's moments i should say when she performs where she's all angles and she makes herself look very droopy and and angular and odd honestly and you see her use that to great effect in some of her you know when she's in some of these horror movies and things as well but then she has that smile and she can soften her features and she can just like light up a room with that smile. And she knows exactly how she looks on camera. And of course, the directors know how to use her as well. But I find it very interesting that you can progressively see her softening on, on camera. And they're using that talent she has in, in her performance. That is amazing. She, she does look really gorgeous in certain shots in right. almost all of her work. And... I always get thrown back a little like, oh, she really is beautiful yeah. because most of the time you're seeing her in what you described before these like odd look moments or she's horrified or something. She also does this thing where she sneers like yeah. somehow her lip comes away from her teeth. Yeah. She's like schizophrenic. 
<laughs> yeah. She's I love very, it. Yeah, her, her face is so emotive. Speaking of what you were describing, it's when they were going through the list of possible victims and they were passing around those pamphlets. You see when they get to her file, you know, obviously it doesn't have her, her name Kirby. It has her uh, Shannon or whatever her Sharon, her original name on it. And you see that picture of her where she's kind of like smiling and she has longer hair and it's lighter. And it's like, she's kind of like looking over her shoulder. And like you were saying, it's like, she's so pretty. <laughs> and then you have like mm -hmm. her in this like very, very dowdy, uh, you know, she's not taking care of herself. She probably is, you know, has a hangdog expression all the time. She's trying to basically disappear and be non-descript um, all the time. And I think we're going to continue to see this transformation. As a matter of fact, once again, the trailer gives away way too much, but you can see her like she's like walking at the camera at one moment in the trailer. Maybe it's a shot that's only in the trailer, but you see her flashing through all the different versions of herself. And you see, she looks very, very different. Obviously she's wearing like a t-shirt and she got her hair very short and dark. And then you see her with like, she's in a business suit and her hair is flowing and she looks, looks completely different. And I think that that's the journey she's on. So once again, if we read the book as kind of a metaphor for someone dealing with this trauma, I think that is where she is allowing herself to do the investigation and then to really making herself a target, putting herself on the cover of the newspaper this week. And he doesn't like the way she looks. Oh, yeah. He, he said, I don't like the way you look right now. You look different. I don't like you like this. You remember me? From Aldridge Street? You gave me the horse. The Pegasus. It has wings. Horses are just hoofs and tails. I... You look the same. You look... Nothing like I left here. I killed you. You shouldn't be here. Well, she looked different, right, when he attacked her, because we like if we go by those photos that we see earlier, that she looked very different than she did now. And he thought she was dead, right? He did not realize she was still alive. It's fascinating. She's great. I like her performance as the young daughter, too, when she visits her mother. It's very good all around. Have you seen Queen of Earth? No, should I? Yeah, I would recommend this film. Oh, it's available on AMC Plus currently. But what I would say is it is a very, very psychological film. It has the aesthetics of a horror movie, and I love horror. You would like this uh, because it's like dreadful from beginning to end, but it's a drama. I, I, just, I just want to be clear about that. It's not a horror movie, but it feels like a horror movie. And she gives an absolutely incredible performance in this, like really one of the most impressive performances I've seen by anybody in years. It's incredible how good she is. I got to watch that. Yeah, Maybe I'll watch that tonight. Thank yeah, you. Track it down. But like I said, you know, I, this isn't something I recommend lightly for everybody. It, it is a difficult film. <laughs> it's a difficult film to like, let's say. But I love this kind of film. Like I think if someone tries to do something like a real high wire act and then pulls it off, I love that. I'm always looking for someone to pull that off. And I thought I think it's great. I think for like a general audience, someone who like, for example, loved her in Mad Men <laughs> or, or The Invisible Man, for example, which she is a great performance in The Invisible Man, by the way. But if you're kind of looking for something more that popcorn, was great. this is not a popcorn film. But for you specifically, <laughs> Celia, for you specifically, I think you'll I love, love Dread. I think you'll I love, love this, it. I think you'll love this movie. 
<laughs> I just like watching it. I don't love dread. I love watching dread. <laughs> you want to deal with it yourself? Oh, no, I don't want to deal with it. It's escapism for me. I don't want it to be real. But I appreciate it. I am a big fan of it. Movies where people come out and they're like, oh, my God, that was crazy. Like, I'm like, oh, I'm still creeped out. I love like the lingering dread, too. That's great. But back on uh, Shining Girls, do you have a theory at all as to what his relationship is to these girls or what? Before, when I was wondering, like, is he a bad guy when he is a bad guy? But what kind of bad guy? I started thinking, because we went to Catholic school. You know how the angels were all angelic and then you watch movies where they have a purpose, but they're bad because they're really demons. And I'm like, this guy, maybe he is a messenger of some sort. Like, and there's a bigger picture behind this. He's like Jigsaw. Have... He's like Jigsaw in the Saw movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my theory. I'm going to stick with it. That is my theory that that is what's happening. I'm going to make and you appreciate your life. Wait. I'm going to can't wait for you to see how right I am. I Jigsaw think I... theory. <laughs> yes. You know what, though? I was buying into that theory. I, I was trying it out for size on this episode. I was halfway there, especially when he allowed that girl to live instead of murdering her. You know, you're not ready yet. Uh, or when he's you see him in a different time zone where he is trying to seduce a girl and she like doesn't want him touching her or whatever. And he goes, oh, you're not mine in this time. So it's as if he is testing them in some way, right? And like you said, maybe that is for some, or in his mind, at least some greater purpose. So I was thinking that is a possible theory. I don't know. I see him at the end of this episode, like a little kid who isn't getting exactly what he wants. And I'm like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if he's anything other than like a, a spoiled uh, brat. I do remember though, he gave her a horse with wings. Yeah. That toy. Where is this Pegasus? Is it going to end up in some woman who has this Pegasus? I was wondering about that myself. Like where, what was the significance of that? Maybe, maybe it's not just the things he left inside of them. Maybe there are other things, maybe like those girls in their backgrounds, in their childhoods encountering him as well, right? Because he is stalking these women for many years. Think about Elizabeth Moss remembering the phone call with the echo effect that which is very strange <laughs> imagine being in that situation where you know how are you doing this she's the one woman says on the phone right because he's playing stuff before she says it which is pretty disturbing or sending the other woman pictures the photographs she finds in the house are of her standing in the kitchen at that moment so it's like how did this picture get here if it's being taken right now me holding this picture right it's like a mirror effect but then he wrote that graffiti on the wall also which was like years later so he's been following her since she was a girl like think about how crazy that is He's been stalking her all these years, waiting for, for that moment. I can't wait to find out why these and women. How. Yeah. That's my concern with the show and maybe the novel itself, which is based on, if too much depends on the quality of solving that mystery, I think that it is going to be a failure. And not a failure. I take that back. No, because I'm enjoying the mystery. I'm enjoying the characters. So I would say it would be maybe disappointing. It's just like in the end, it's just like, and we don't know how it happened which I'm okay with not knowing too much. I think in a separate conversation, we talked about Jordan Peele's Us movie, which I think is a absolute masterpiece until the end when it tries to explain everything. And I'm like, eh, I don't need to know all this, <laughs> you know? So it's a tight rope with these type of projects to be able to give you a solution that makes sense without destroying 
any logic, internal logic of the story? I, <laughs> I don't even know what to say because <laughs> it has to turn out well. I would be so annoyed if it wasn't somewhat logical, but I'm willing to take the ride and see how this turns out. I'm hoping for the best. I want to be wowed. Yeah, I, I want so. to see a curveball that I don't see coming. Those are some high expectations, I got to say. <laughs> I do. That is what I want. <laughs> well, of course, I think we all want that, right? We all want to see like an ending. Not as much as I want it. Speaking of, you know, not landing <laughs> the ending, I originally was going to cover with you a show called Outer Range, which is kind of this like Lost in the Midwest with uh, Josh Brolin. People were pitching it as Yellowstone meets Lost. I love that. I love Yellowstone Eats Lost. That's great. I was intrigued and I pitched it to you and I was like, maybe we'll watch this. And then I watched the first couple episodes before you did. And I was on vacation, by the way, so we couldn't record anyway. After I saw those two episodes, I'm like, you know what? I was laughing at the plot and the performances and it was not supposed to be funny. So I'm like, hmm, don't know <laughs> if this is really worth the <laughs> investment. But since it was only eight episodes and they were putting two out per week, it already wrapped up after just four weeks. And I watched it last night. And speaking of not nailing the landing, holy cow, you might have to watch this show just to see how absolutely stupid <laughs> the show <laughs> becomes. So anybody out there who watched this show, I apologize because I think some fans are embracing this thing. It's supposed to be scary at one moment. And then it's intentionally, you have to see these two characters they like fall in love with each other. And the way they make out is there's no way we're supposed to take this seriously. <laughs> they literally like lick each other's faces with their tongues out and their mouths open. Like they're licking each other's tongues. They're like literally the, the camera shows like Why? strings of saliva after they're done a uh, kissing. Stop it. And, and it is in every time they make out, it's the same shot selection. And everybody in the show just stares at them. Like in the, the episode, recent episode, as they pull apart and the saliva string is between their tongues. It's like Gross. They, they do they do a focus pull. So like you see everybody reacting in the background to this. Stop thing. it. That's part of the like plot, people reacting to yes. the saliva grossness. Yes. The it's insane. And, and then <gasps> and then you, you I say like see this. And, and then you you're like, well, obviously this was supposed to be a joke, but no joke. Oh, no. But within like two scenes of that one of the main people gets murdered in, in, in the show. So I, I mean, <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like, I don't understand what they're trying to do. The, the performances are so all over the place. You know, Josh Brolin is the only one who's giving like a straight performance at all. Everybody else is way over the top. It's, it's nuts. It's like two or three different movies or shows all mixed together. It's, it's a <laughs> mess. Oh, and the worst, the worst is that I really feel <laughs> to make the metaphor to Lost they don't know what they're doing in this show because they give away, if you saw that trailer, basically Josh Brolin finds this giant hole in the middle of his field. And you're like, well, the mystery is what's inside the hole. Nope. By the end of episode one, this crazy <laughs> hippie girl, who's the one who licks people's faces, the crazy hippie girl shoves him into the hole, shoves him in there. <laughs> and I'm like, what? So who's this crazy person who just shoves someone into this like giant uh, vortex? And you see said... Yeah. Do you want to do a podcast with me on that show? Because you have a cowboy fetish. Yes, you do have a cowboy fetish. I do not have a cowboy <laughs> fetish. I like cowboys, but I would not. I mean, I don't know if I can watch this show. I don't. 
It's so bad. But you I might- can't decide if it's so terrible it would be worth watching or if it's, it has to, I like, I like movies that don't know they're really bad. Yeah. Those are some of my favorite movies because they're so funny, but I don't like movies that try to be bad. Right. Like well, that's is what- this program as bad as I would like, or is I mean- it? I would say what's strange about it is if you try to take it seriously, I think you're going to think it's a complete failure. And, uh, but watching it like ironically, like I was, and I don't want to leave people on a cliffhanger there just to let you know that they, they show you what's inside the hole. Episode one, like episode one, you see at the very end of episode one, they show you what's inside the hole, but it's time travel again, another time travel <laughs> show. But more importantly is that something specific happens in that moment where he goes through the hole when he's in this alternate timeline. And you think the show is circling back to that is going to try to explain it. The show goes in a completely different direction and it just throws one ridiculous thing after another. They obviously left everything open for season two, but my experience of the show was I was intrigued by episode one and I'm like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be laughing at these things or not. By episode two, I was openly laughing at it. And episode three and four, I think were directed by Amy Simons, which is a very talented director, by the way. And the show calmed down and I was like, oh, wait a second, maybe it's finding its footing because the more straight they played it the more it was just a straight up western the more it was kind of resonating with me but some of the performances were still a little way over the top but in general those next episodes so it kept me interested enough but anyway my point is i get to the last episode there's only eight episodes i got to the last episode last night and i was so angry i was like this garbage show i cannot watch another minute of this so i am definitely out on the season two especially because they had no idea how to circle back to that first moment in that you know the finale of episode one the kind of circling back and i feel like they don't know where they're going and now there's a season two and god knows what's going to happen next and i feel like they're going to try to figure it out which once again very much makes me feel like lost minimally lost was compelling for at least the first season or two this show is a total mess and i know people like it i I think this show's a a mess a disaster really a disaster but an entertaining one for for most of its runtime so Try out the first couple episodes and see what you think. <laughs> I don't know how to feel about this show. <laughs> I, maybe I will at some point. I'm, I don't, it doesn't make me want to run to try to watch this. But um, at some point, when I run out of stuff to do, I'll be like, okay, I'll it's watch a, this. It's a curiosity, at least, I would say. Like, this might be one of those shows people say, like, remember when Josh Brolin did that show? You know, I don't think it's going to get a second season, but I don't know. But I am definitely not watching season two. I'm not, like, interested enough. And I have no confidence at all in what I've seen that the people who wrote this weren't just being like, wouldn't it be crazy if then this happened? Like, I do not think they have a plan for where this thing is going. And that's why I got so mad at the end. I'm like, you can't just keep throwing more weird stuff at me. That's not, <laughs> that's not going to work, right? So anyway, but uh, it may be something to try out if you have nothing else to watch. And I can't believe that because there are a hundred things to watch right now, like literally a hundred things. Speaking of, did you have any recommendations, anything you've been watching that you're liking? I've been watching My Brilliant Friend. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. The performances are amazing. The mood is sustained the entire time. It's about these two girls who grew up together and then their lives kind of separate, but then they always come back together. They're best friends and they're arch enemies at the same time. They're very different. They're very intelligent. And everything around them that is happening is also told in the story. The townspeople, 
from when they were very small and the dramas that happened then escalate later on in the series. And it goes through decades of turmoil and rebellion and communism. It's amazing and it's so beautifully shot. It's one of the best shows I've ever seen. Giant recommendation. And I think season four is the last season and that's coming this year, I believe. And what's that one called again? My Brilliant Friend. My brilliant and it's friend. an Italian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kim was actually reading these books. People rave about these books uh, written by Elena Ferrante, and, uh, which I think is an alias anyway. Yeah, th- there's been raves about this, this series of books for, for years now. And I think there were three novels, but I guess they're, they're, you know, it, it's not always easy to do a one-to-one correlation on, on the books. But I've heard the show is very good, but the novels are even better. I was waiting to watch this show to see if I could read some of the books before I watched the show, but I don't think that's ever going to happen. So maybe I'll just start uh, watching. So yeah, maybe I'll watch a few episodes and then we'll come back to it next week. Do that. That would make me happy. All right, cool. Thank you for the conversation and I will see you for Mother's Day. Oh, yes. I can't wait. (laughs) Getting everyone together. All right. And happy Mother's Day to all the wonderful mothers out there. (laughs) Yes, happy Mother's Day to everybody. We will be dropping this. uh, We should be dropping this on Saturday. So they'll be in time for everybody to get that message if they hear it right away. But even if you're listening to this a week from now, (laughs) still happy Mother's Day. We still wish it. Related, happy Mother's Day. Definitely. All right. right. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. You break the rules. Look out! become a hero. I do it. I become the enemy. That doesn't seem fair. Okay, you made it through the episode. Here is our spoiler conversation about Doctor Strange. So last warning, if you haven't seen the movie, you probably want to opt out now and check this out when you come back. First of all, the villain of the piece is Scarlet Witch, which is not too surprising. If you've seen WandaVision, we all saw her with the dark tome at the end within her cabin, which is kind of revealed here pretty early on. So Strange needs her help with this dark magic that's coming. And of course, it turns out to be her, which was what everybody was rumoring from the from the start. It was only the, tra- the trailer itself, which was kind of a head fake. Second of all, interesting that they not only bring in this super squad of heroes from What If, but we've introduced now officially some of these new mythologies that are going to fold in to the MCU, given the acquisition of the 20th Century Fox by Disney. So we see Dr. X, of course, and we also see Reed Richards here from the Fantastic Four. So all that is to come in the future, and we have just a hint of it now. And I did really love the way they wrapped this story up. It really seems like everything is stacked against our heroes. Dr. Strange does a really cool move <laughs> in inhabiting a dead body. Let's Sam Raimi go full Evil Dead here at the end. And there's some pretty fun horror imagery here, but, you know, cartoonish horror, which is kind of Sam Raimi's signature. But the final resolution is for America to give Wanda exactly what she wants. And when she is confronted with these children, the children are terrified of her because she has injured their mom. She's not their mom. And when she realizes this, when she realizes that the thing that she has been seeking this whole entire time is unachievable. As a matter of fact, she's going to destroy it by wanting it so badly. She herself is the one who destroys the dark hold. So I really thought that was really great. It's a way to give Wanda an arc here 
without cutting too many corners. And as far as those bonus scenes go, oh, first of all, great to see Bruce Campbell. If you're a Sam Raimi fan, you know that Bruce Campbell's been in all his films. And it's still great to see him. <laughs> still so good at physical humor. All these years later, 40 years after the Evil Dead film. Pretty amazing. He's had such a great career. And we see that Strange now has his third eye. How's that going to pay out? Who knows? It's just something that they introduce. He's still haunted by some of the darkness that he encountered in this episode. So that's it. Once again, always remember to subscribe so you know when we have new episodes. Stay tuned. Sona and I will be talking about Better Call Saul. That will be Tuesday morning when those episodes usually publish. And probably just back to our two-episode schedule later in the week, discussing with Nick his opinion of the Moon Knight finale, plus more conversations with my sister, mostly around Shining Girls, and probably continuing to discuss Barry as well. So I hope you enjoyed the episode, and I'll talk to you soon.